Today we continue our series on the greatest love story ever told and specifically considering the fall and God's redemptive uh, plan set in motion. So before we do that, let us pray together. Father God, we pray as we open your word, may your spirit stir our hearts. And as we, our hearts are stirred, may we once again be rekindled by your love for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A man thought he had a foolproof plan for sneaking into a drive-in. You know what is a drive-in, right? Those younger, maybe you do not know. So this is a picture of a drive-in. Basically, you drive your car into a theatre and then you uh, watch the movie in the, in the car. So the plan was this. He would crawl into the trunk of the car and his wife would pay only for herself. Once inside the drive-in, she would let him out of the trunk. The plan sounded good, but it failed. The man crawled into the trunk as planned. His wife drove into the theatre just as they planned. Only when she attempted to release him, the lever failed to work. And they realised that he had the keys to the trunk in his pocket. So they had to call the fireman. The fireman cut through the trunk. The man was released, but neither he nor his wife saw the movie. Some plans may sound good, but they do not work. Even if this plan had worked, it can hardly be called good because the intent was to deceive and enjoy a movie at the expense of the cinema. God's plan for creation is a good plan. His redemptive plan for mankind is a good plan. The goal for which it is instituted is of the highest good. It is good in a functional sense also because the plan is certain to work. Producing the ends for which it is ordained for. Ultimately, it is good because it is God's plan. And God is good, and His plan must be good. Last week in Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation account ending with the Shalom Divine Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, if you read Genesis chapter 2, you will see the joyous intimacy between man and woman. Actually, God's love story could have ended there. Right? Perfect creation, man and woman having intimacy, and they live happily ever after. That is how most of the fable stories end, right? They live happily ever after. But we soon realize that there's a Genesis 3. Why? Because in every good story, there must be a good guy and a bad guy. And in every good story, there must be a few twists, right? Cannot be too predictable. If not, it is not a good story. It is just a story. So today, we consider two major twists in the greatest love story ever told. Namely, the fall. Perfect creation, intimacy between men and women, and then the twist, there is a fall. Okay? 
And then there's the second twist, which is, after the fall, God promised a saviour. He promised redemption to mankind. That is twist number two. God is the good guy. Why? Because he's good. God is the protagonist. Genesis 3 describes the first human act of disobedience. Here, there is introduced to us the antagonist, the bad guy. And he is conversing with Eve as we consider the first point, the temptation. Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you may turn to it. Otherwise, you can refer to the screen. I will read for us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, this is the antagonist. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the twist to God's love story, Satan, a fallen angel, took the form of a serpent and twisted God's word, tempting Eve. What was the actual temptation? The temptation is this. Satan planted the seed of sin, namely the desire to be like God. And they fell. They fell when they allowed their pride to think that they can become God. The desire to be like God is the foundation of all sin. Beginning with the devil and sadly infecting Adam and Eve and then all humankind. There's an interesting passage, Ezekiel chapter 28. As we read this passage, look out for these two thoughts pride, and wanting to be like God. Okay? Ezekiel 28 verse 1. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel. Son of man, go and say to the ruler of time. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart you say, I am God. Or I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God. In the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal and not God. Though you think you are as wise as a God. Are you wiser than Daniel? It's no secret hidden from you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. But your great skill in, by your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth. And because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, I am going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a God? In the presence of those who kill you. You will be but a mortal not a God. 
in the hands of those who slay you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of foreigners. The ruler of time is a wise and rich man. In those days, some of the rulers, if you are wise and rich and powerful, you become a god. They will worship you while you are alive and even after you are dead. Okay? But God reminded him that he is just a mere mortal, not God. Now God is going to show him who is God. Friends, let us not become prideful, whether you are rich or wise or otherwise. Our last church retreat, how many of you were there? Show of hands. Only I went. Ah. <laughs> ah, quite a few hands. Ah. <laughs> I thought only I went, you know. When was that? Ah? Quite some time back, right? Two, three years ago, right? Who was the speaker? The speaker was the principal of, or is the principal of Singapore Bible College, the Reverend Dr. Clement Chia. He spoke in Chinese because he's a Chinese uh, uh, scholar. Huh? And he shared this. This was my takeaway. I still remember until today. He said this poetry. You know? He said this. Huh? 人是人, 神是神, 人不能做神, 神能做人. Translator is this. God is God. Man is man. God, man cannot become a God. But God can become man. The word of the Lord came to me. Verse 11. Let's move on. And he continues to speak to the king of Tyre. And he says, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And this must catch our eyes. Huh? Verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite and emerald. Topaz, onyx and jasper. Lapis lazuli. This sounds like cake. <laughs> Turquoise and barrel. Your setting and mounting were made of gold. On the day you were created, you were prepared. And catch this, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until or till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I, and I expelled you, guardian Sherab, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out of you. Come, come out from you and it consumed you. 
and I reduce you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. The second section, beginning from verse 11 in Ezekiel chapter 28, is described as a lamentation. God's lament. Lament. Addressed to the king of Tyre and possibly an allusion to the fall of an angel. Or in the NIV, a shirak. The fallen angel is known by a few names. The morning star, Lucifer, Satan, Antichrist, the devil, the old serpent, etc. How did Satan fall? Satan fall because of pride, wanting to become like God. That was the fall of Satan. Now the fallen angel, Satan, works over time to bring as many down with him. He knows that he is going down, but he's not contented to go down alone. That is how evil he is. He wants to bring as many as possible down with him. He wants to break man's relationship with God. He wants to distract and deceive men. He misuses and abuses his God's given wisdom and beauty and craftiness. He tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to fall together with him. And he still does the same today to each one of us. That is his modus operandi. Satan twists the truth and deceives men to fall into temptation. Let us now return to Genesis 3 as we consider the fall of innocence. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, in verse 6, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They sowed fig trees, uh, fig trees. They sowed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As I was reading this passage, the thought about knowing good and evil. I was drawn to my childhood days. You know, childhood, uh, when we were born, we do not know good from evil, right? And we did not know that we were naked. During my era, parents somehow liked to take photos of us in the bathtub, in the toilet, naked. <laughs> right? But when, we, when our photo was taken, we didn't cover ourselves, right? Why? Because we were not ashamed. We didn't know good and evil. We just simply sat there and had our photos taken. We were young and innocent. We were born not knowing about good and evil. And that is the beautiful innocence about children. Along the way, our parents and our teachers taught us what is good and evil. Hopefully, they taught us well. Childhood was enjoyable for most of us because we did not know good and evil. Carefree, you know, very carefree. You just play, right? And when it's time to eat, they will call you to eat. Nah. After you eat, go and play some more. So carefree. The fall from innocence means that when we mature, when we grow up, we have an understanding, a deeper sense of how evil the world is and the suffering and pain that is around us. 
how I miss my childhood days of innocence. I vividly remember visiting my grandfather's house at about kindergarten age, about four or five years old. He had a very fruitful mango tree, on the tree and also on the ground. <laughs> you know, so fruitful. Some of those mangoes, most of the mangoes on the ground were half eaten. I do not know it was eaten, whether it was on the tree or on the ground. Eh? But uh, one fine day, I came across a perfect-looking mango. I picked up that mango. I thought I had found treasure. I opened, I peeled, eh? I peeled the, the mango. And to my surprise, my shock, I found worms in the mango. Something like that. The mango was a, a bit soft, but I thought it was perfect. It was bad. Thank God I didn't peel and straight away bite into it. <laughs> Eve was not so fortunate. She ate the forbidden fruit and gave some to her husband. I'm not saying that the forbidden fruit is rotten. Nah. Okay, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but she ate the fruit. I didn't get to eat the fruit. And I believe that the moment she ate it, or they ate it, both of them ate it, that was the aha moment. Their eyes were opened. And suddenly, they realized that they have sinned. And suddenly, they realized that they were naked. And suddenly, they realized that they were ashamed. They first time you have that kind of feeling, ashamed. You remember the first time you felt ashamed? <laughs> Not a nice feeling. But they had that aha moment. But when did they actually sin? It is like the mango, right? When did they actually sin? How many of us say that they eat when they sin when they eat the fruit? How many? Don't have, huh? Oh, very smart. Not tricked by Pastor Leonard. How many say they sin when they decided to eat the fruit? They decided. How many? I see a few hands now. Okay. Uh, those are crafty questions trick questions to deceive you. Okay? They actually sin in their heart when they wanted to know good and evil like God. That moment when they wanted to be like God. And it is like the rot, you know, from the, from the picture, like the picture. It is from the inside out. The eating of the fruit is just the outward manifestation. But it is the heart that was already rotten. They disobeyed God first with the desire in their heart to be like God. And then they eat the forbidden fruit and then they fell from innocence. Let us now consider the consequence of the fall. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. After they ate the fruit, they realized that they were naked. They could not move freely around anymore. And they began to hide. They felt ashamed. They felt fearful. And they tried to cover themselves by sowing fig leaves to cover themselves. This was the first time hide and seek was played. 
they were hiding and God was seeking. Why? Because they knew that their relationship with God is now no longer like before. It is fractured. It is like a child doing something wrong and you want to run away from your mother, especially the mother. I don't know why. Uh, and, and you do not want to get found out. You run far, far away, right? Why? Because you know that if your mother were to find out, that relationship is not like before. Let's consider the consequence of the flaw. Sin separated them from God. Verse 9. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? Where are you? This where are you is not like the tone that we often imagine. It is not God seeking out the man to kill the man, to punish the man. It is of a different tone. Where are you? This is not God being ignorant. Eh? God is not ignorant. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know. But God took the initiative to call out to the man and seek for him. Today, God still does the same to sinners like you and I. Where are you? Every time we sin, we will want to run away from God. We will want to hide the sin from God. You know, sometimes when we do wrong, we are not very good at covering up. When I was younger, when I do wrong, I always get found out by my parents. I do not know how, but I, I think I gave myself away. Right? When you run away, something is wrong. Adam said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. When we sin, naturally we fear. And we hide our sins from God and we run far away from Him. We do not want anything to do with God because we know that God knows about our sin. And He is holy and He will have to judge us for our sin and He will have to correct us. I know of some who are afraid of Christianity because they know that they are sinners. I know of some who have stopped coming to church or DG or fellowship groups because they are afraid. They are afraid. They are naked and ashamed. If you are one like that, I want you to know this. God is calling out to you. Where are you? God's love or love covers a multitude of sins. We will come to that later. Love covers a multitude of sins. God is calling out to us so that He can cover us. So that we can be naked and unashamed. Verse 11. And He said, God said, Who told you you were naked? You must understand here that there are only four people at play. Eh? God, the good guy, the bad guy, Adam and Eve. Who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is not in a harsh tone. This is in a loving tone. God is all-knowing. He confronts the man with these two questions not because God is ignorant or he's interrogating the man, forcing a confession, but he already knows. When does God choose to forgive us? Sometimes we think that, oh, only when I confess, uh, God, only God will love me and forgive me. God already chose to forgive Adam and Eve. Even before he asked these questions. Even before the confession. And later on, we will look at the confession. A weak confession, but yeah, we will look at it. He wants the man to know that he has sinned and be a man to own up to his own wrongdoing. Verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And this is a confession, right? Did you eat that woman you put here, gave me, and I ate it? This is a confession, but not a very gentleman confession. The man kind of admitted that he ate the forbidden fruit, but tried to mitigate it. Right? I am not supposed to bear the full responsibility, that woman. Gave me. The woman that you put here gave me. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate it. When God turned to the woman and confronted her, she blamed the serpent for deceiving her and that's the reason why she ate it. Both confess but very weak. <laughs> don't judge them. Huh? Why I say don't judge them? Because when I sin, I cannot say it about you. Huh? But when Pastor Leonard sin, huh? sometimes my confession is also very weak. Huh? Right or not? I justify, I mitigate. God, everybody like that. Huh? You know, I was put in a difficult situation. Huh? As if God don't know. Huh? And then God, you forgive me. And God forgive. That is what it is, right? Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Poor serpent. Very crafty. But now got nothing to say. Nobody to blame but himself. No words from him. Guilty as charged. God passed the verdict, cursed and sentenced the serpent. And notice verse 15. This is what we call the proto-evangelion. The first promise. The good news. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. These are words to the serpent. This is the moment God set his redemptive plan in action. That's why I say God already forgives you. He already has a plan. God declares the start of hostility between Christ and the Antichrist. This is the start of spiritual war. 
a battle for the souls of mankind. One single person, he referring to Jesus Christ, he will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel. This is a picture of the cross. Jesus fatally crushing the head of the serpent like that. And the serpent opened the mouth and bite the heel of Jesus and don't want to let go. Until Jesus died. This is the first time the good news is promised by God. And because it is God's plan, it will finally come to fruition. Because God is in control and nobody, including Satan, you or me, can stop God's plan. The good that came out of this fall from Genesis chapter 3 onwards is God's redemptive plan is set in motion. This is the start. Because this is God's promise and then later on, we already understood generations after generations after generations, the father of so-and-so and was the father of so-and-so and so on, right? And then finally, Jesus Christ came. To the woman, he said this, Verse 16, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Painful childbirth is for women. It is a consequence of the fall. Thank God the men don't get it. Desire for your husband and having to submit to your husband is also another consequence of the fall. Ladies, have you ever wondered why you must submit to your husband? Because it is the consequence of the fall. Why you struggle so much with submitting to your husband? Because it is the consequence of the fall. It doesn't stop there. Huh? Men don't smile. Huh? Verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Very interesting here. Adam sinned, but God cursed the ground. It's when serpent sinned, God cursed the serpent. Verse 18. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for thus you are, and to thus you will return. Men, we will have to work, and it will no longer be easy. Be prepared to sweat it out. And be prepared to sweat it out until you die. Why is work so difficult? Why we work until death? It is the consequence of the fall. Verse 20, after hearing all this, Adam turned to the woman and named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Imagine you are Adam. After all these episodes, all these happenings, here God uh, cursed the serpent, uh, pronounced painful childbirth, pronounced you work until die, and then you look at your wife. What will you say? Aya, why are you like that? No, <laughs> he look at Eve and then say, "Your name is Eve. 
because you are the mother of all living. Not all death, no? All living. If it's me, perhaps I'll say mother of all death. Uh, because, it, it, you know, because of you, uh, you go and take the fruit, uh, then you bring death to everybody, including our descendants, right? But instead of calling her the mother of all death, call her the mother of all living. Why? Because through her seed will come the saviour of the world that will give us eternal life. The mother of all living. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. If the mother of all living, not the mother of all death, it is through the offspring of Eve that eventually Jesus will come. Do you see the love of God? Even when passing judgment, there is grace, there is mercy, there is love. Towards Adam and Eve. Why? Because they are made in God's image. Why did God curse the serpent? Why did God curse the ground? Why didn't God curse Adam and Eve? Why? Because they are made in His image. We are different from animals. We are different from the rest of creation. There is value in God's eyes. We are not the same. God sacrificed an animal and made garments of skin to clothe them. How to get leather? You have to kill an animal. And this is actually pointing ultimately to the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God. Instead of flimsy, thick leaves, now they have something that is lasting. God's provision and plan is always better than man's ways. Redemptive plan included. Verse 22. And the Lord said, Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He will not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Again, don't be skilled in your thinking uh, that hey, now God banned them from eating fruits. Huh? Okay? If, the reason is this. If they were to eat from the tree of life in their current fallen state, you know what will happen? They will be fallen for all eternity because they eat from the tree of life. There is no more way to redeem them. And that is why God says they cannot eat from the tree of life. Verse 23. So the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden to work, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God always has a reason for his actions. Don't think that God chased Adam out of the house. Huh? Sometimes you think like that. Right? God chased Adam out of the Garden of Eden. Like the father chased the son out of the house. No. God asked him to leave the Garden of Eden because he cannot eat from the tree of life. Good intentions. It is God's way of loving Adam and humankind. It is God's way of protecting Adam and humankind so that he will not eat from the tree of life 
and remain in fallen state and cannot be saved for all eternity. One day, one day, brothers and sisters, we will eat from the tree of life. When we arrive in paradise and we will live happily ever after with God. The greatest love story starts with the Creator God and His creation. The pinnacle of His creation was human, humanity represented by Adam and Eve. Satan, a fallen archangel, took the form of a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God's command and ate the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Consequently, humanity fell from innocence and fractured our relationship with God and hid from God. Out of His love for humanity, God had to redeem chaos to His relationship with humanity because of the fall. And set in motion His redemptive plan. God has a good plan to save you from the fall. Accept His redemptive plan and not like, be like the man in the opening story thinking of our own plan which turned out unwell. God has paid the price for your redemption. You only need to trust in the finished work of Christ. The question for us is this. Do you trust God's redemptive plan? Today, God is still calling out to us. Where are you? Let us pray together. I give us a minute to transact with God. God is calling out to you, where are you? I want to cover you. I want to redeem you. Where are you? After some time, the worship team will lead us in the